salvation often comes in a religious package. The French philosopher Pascal in the 17th century once said, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it with religious conviction. One of the most surprising sources of evil can be religious institutions. For the Christian church, the way that it has acted in evil throughout history is almost always connected to a perverse use of scripture. I think of the Crusades in the Middle Ages. I think of slavery in North America. I think of the church in Nazi-era Germany. Giving in to religious temptations is an important danger for two reasons. One, it is the most frequent accusation brought against the church. And secondly, it's because we may be guilty of it ourselves. Now we saw in our last session that the first temptation was an invitation to be sub-Christian. God wants us to be with him, dependent on him. And yet we are tempted daily to elevate lesser things above him, to enjoy the gifts without the giver, to live a self-sufficient life. Now, some of you might hear that and think, well, I don't struggle with any of those things. Well, then this next temptation is for you because if the first was to be sub-Christian, this temptation is to be super-Christian. If the devil cannot succeed in tempting us as secular people, he will tempt us as religious people. So how can we detect and overcome temptations towards evil when it comes wrapped in a religious package? And here our text teaches us. Matthew chapter four, verses five through seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The first temptation didn't really require a specific location, but this one does. In fact, it's not nearly as effective without it. So notice how this temptation is set up. It's a holy environment full of holy people with holy scripture. Satan takes Jesus to this place of worship, the temple at the very center of religious life. And who happens to be there but religious people? It's the city of Jerusalem. Now, imagine if this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And if he were to climb up to a high point and launch himself off, it would start his career in a spectacular way. Everyone may see that, watch perhaps angels rescue him as he falls, and no doubt people would be amazed by the show and say, this must be the Messiah. There's a holy environment, there's holy people watching, and holy scripture is being used. Since Jesus had quoted scripture in response to the previous temptation, the devil is saying, okay, so you trust God and you trust the scriptures. How's that working out for you? I mean, 
How about, for example, Psalm 91, which is the psalm he is quoted here in Matthew chapter 4. If you trust in God's word, Jesus, why don't you prove one of God's promises? I mean, after all, if you are the Messiah, God wouldn't actually let you suffer, right? If the people of God can come to receive such great care, how much more the Son of God, right? Oh, but how will you really know? How are you really going to be sure? You should really try this out. It's essentially what the enemy is saying. If the first temptation capitalized on what Jesus didn't have, this one capitalizes on what he did have. After striking out at our weak spots, the enemy will almost always aim for our strongest. Why? Because rarely do we see our strengths as an obvious target. It's the last place that we would expect temptation. Our guard is not up. Now, many of us, we hear stories about scandal and fraud happening in churches across the globe, and yet we never think it could happen in ours. We never think it could happen in our environment. I mean, after all, look at these religious people. They've got their holy garb on. They've got their Bibles. They're wearing bracelets that are Christian. I mean, how could anything possibly go wrong? Yet remember, the major opponents of Jesus were religious leaders. They claimed to trust in scripture, and yet Jesus exposed that they were driven by pride, envy, and selfish ambition. See, if Satan can't get you to fall in secular society, he will get you to rise in religiosity. That's why Oswald Chambers once said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. The reality is, that you could be fully engaged in religious activities. You could be serving in your local church on Sundays. You could perhaps be leading a small group of people in the life of your church, and yet all the while be completely given over to evil. And yet you look as though you're doing something great for God. In fact, that's what many of us want. We want to be perceived as people who do great things for God. But oftentimes, as a result, we can become full of pride. But we tell ourselves, wait a minute, that couldn't possibly be. I'm in a holy position, and I'm around holy people, and I'm using holy resources. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Though the temptation looks religious on the surface, it's driven by four errors. I want to point them out. The first is a misuse of scripture. Satan in quoting, or I should say misquoting Psalm 91, is taking a wrong approach with wrong application. It's taken out of context and it's used for personal gain. The proper understanding of a passage like Psalm 91 is this. While the people of God can come to expect care, they must never manipulate to get it or demand it. So the first error is the misuse of scripture. We see this often in daily life. People come to the Bible not to hear what they need, but to get what they want. And in order to get what they want, they will exclude portions of scripture, the ones that they don't like, the ones that are perhaps convicting. Satan misuses scripture. Secondly, there's the abuse of position. 
Satan is essentially tempting Jesus to go up to this tower and, and use that, use that power, leverage it so that people will be wowed by you, so that people will follow you. Unfortunately, this happens in the church all the time. Some people come in and they seek to serve and under the name Christian, they're secretly using the church or using people to advance their own agenda. They use their position, perhaps for selfish gain, to, to gain money or notoriety. But all the while, they're fulfilling a religious role. This is a great temptation for the church today. It looks great. You might have a position in the church. People may applaud you. And yet secretly, it's all about you. And it's all about you advancing your own agenda. The third error is the attempt to prove yourself. That's what Satan is appealing to here. And it's what he appeals to us often is an attempt to prove ourselves you need to be at the top of the temple. I mean, how else is anyone going to notice you? How else are you going to get the notoriety and the affirmation and the validation you need unless you go to the top of the temple and show those people what you've got? Show those people who you are. It will establish your credentials. It's got to look heroic and it's got to look spectacular. It's got to look like you're the one really in control. Look, I quote scripture, I do things, and God does tricks. Sometimes in the church, we're seeking the spectacular. We want to do big and grand and great things. And yet all the while, we're doing it to prove ourselves. And the fourth error is the attempt to manipulate God. Satan is seeking to force the issue on God. He wants Jesus to put God to the test. Let me put it in another way. This could be you and I saying, I am going to put myself in this situation. I know there's going to be a lot of temptation, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's all good. God's going to save me. That's the attitude that is reflected in our enemy here. I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to presumptuously put myself in danger and then ask God to bless me. How many of us have been there? In those times where God gives us warnings, we have a conviction of the Holy Spirit, we know we ought not go in certain directions, and yet quietly and subtly we enter them saying, it's all good, because God's just gonna have to rescue me. I'm gonna put God to the test. Don't deceive yourself. You are only looking for what you want to hear. Twisting God's word to personal advantage or using positions in his church as a platform is merely an attempt to put God to the test. It's another way of saying God exists to serve me. Testing God is not about trusting God. So if we're giving in to this kind of religious temptation, think about what this says about our heart. God, if you're going to exist, it's going to be on my terms. I think what's being demonstrated here is that scripture can be twisted 
for selfish gain. But the answer, however, is not to abandon scriptural truth. The answer is to cling more closely to it. And that is precisely what Jesus demonstrates here in Matthew chapter 4. We triumph over religious temptation by doing what Jesus does first, rightly handling the truth. The way that we combat these daily religious temptations, first of all, is by rightly handling the very word of God. We need to look at verses in the context of the paragraph. Look at the paragraph in context of the chapter. Look at the chapter in the context of the book. And look at the book in the context of the whole book. What, how does this connect to the rest of what scripture says? Notice that when Jesus is responding to Satan, he says, it is also written. It is also written. We need to take into account the rest of what scripture says. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher of the 19th century, once said that discernment is not just the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. It's the ability to tell the difference between right and almost right. We must go to scripture and we must handle it rightly. But secondly, Jesus is not only handling the truth, he's yielding to the truth. It's not simply enough for us to study the Bible and then get a, get a good grasp on it. We need to yield ourselves to the truth. We need to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to what scripture is in fact saying. Now Jesus would go to the holy city and it would be amidst a crowd of holy people. But when he would, it would not be to save his life. It would be to lose his life. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And when he prayed, he said, Father, I'm going to move forward in my mission, but not on my terms, but on your terms. See, Jesus was asked a similar question again at the end of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 27, when the crowds were gathered around Jesus, as he was nailed to the cross, the people said, if you are the son of God, come down from that cross. But he stayed. For his power would not be shown by avoiding death, but by going through it. Going through it to save us from all of our sins and to save us from all of our errors, that we might be rescued from the lies of self-righteous religiosity. The greatest way of proving his care for us was not by a spectacular show from the top of a temple, but by humble love displayed on a lowly cross. This is how Christ overcame. And that is the very love that melts our hearts and destroys our pride and empowers us to humbly submit to his plans for us. So often in the Christian life, we think that the way forward is for us to do the spectacular, to be seen, to be elevated above others. And yet Jesus told his disciples that if I'm your teacher and you are my servants, if I have come to serve you, then you also must serve others. Greatness was turned upside down when Jesus came into this world. 
He said, true greatness is not about getting people to watch you or to serve you. He said, greatness is about serving others. Greatness is about picking up your cross, following after him, loving the people that he loves. Whoever wants to be great in my kingdom shall be the servant of all. Humility is what we need. Humility overcomes the temptation to be super Christian. We do not triumph through testing God, but trusting God. And the glorious truth is this. You don't have to prove your credentials. You don't. Because Jesus went to the cross to give you his. 